Okay, we have author Pamela Ray and James Files. Thank you both so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And thank you for having me. So what made the both of you come together and decide to write this book initially and, and come out with everything? Well, first of all, I just wanted James Files to tell everybody who he is, or actually who he was. And can you just Okay. Today, my name is James Files. So I'll take you back in time, November 22nd, 1963, on the Grassy Knoll, just where I was at, behind the figure fence, and I am the Grassy Knoll too. And this is these pictures here. And at that time, my name was Jimmy Sutton. Nobody knew me as Jimmy Files. Jimmy Sutton. And I just recently come off the uh, deal with the working with the Bay of Pigs and several other objects and projects and uh, wound up in Dallas. And I would like, if you want to know how it all got started, I would like my wife to tell you how she met me through an interview I did called Impatient of an Assassin. Yes, please. So uh, back in Let's see, uh, 19, when I put on the Confession of Assassin video, this one, um, this was at a Blockbuster. And see, look, it's VHS, you know, old. Oh, wow, VHS. Scott, my, my engineer, Scott, knows all about VHS. <laughs> so I was at a Blockbuster, and, um, okay, let me take you back just a little bit, wind it back. I was in the church library and I was looking for books on end time, book of revelation, prophecy, you know, because I'm a Christian and I want to know what the heck's going on because they don't tell you at church. I bet you really want to know now. <laughs> in 1982, I became a Christian from a very non-Christian background. My, my grandparents were a Masonic Lodge and my mom was kind of new age. And so I just kind of, didn't have any of that growing up. So I went to the church library looking for end times books. And then, where's my one that I found? Uh, anyway, I found High Treason, the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, what really happened. And I'm like, what's that doing in the church library? You know, it's kind of weird. And I'm like, well, what happened? So I, I looked at it and I read it. And I was like, I'm going to go tell the pastor. I'm going to go tell that they did this to our country and nobody's talking about it and they better start talking about it. He's like, no, 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 no. When I did talk to him, he's like, no, 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 you, we're not going to talk about that. I'm like, well, why is a book in the church library? We're not supposed to talk about it. He's like, well, I just wanted it there so people could understand that, but we're not going to talk about it. I'm like, okay. So then about a year later, I was in the blockbuster and I, I saw this and I knew it matched that high treason book. And I was like, I think I want to get this. And, and, so I watched it, and at the end, he was asked, uh, James Wilde was asked by the interviewer if he believed in God. He's been around death and violence and all this stuff to life. He's like, do you believe in God? He goes, I, I guess I do. I said, I prayed to him every time I was in trouble. <laughs> so if you got number 10, 15, if you want to call somebody for help, you're going to call him. got to call the big guy. Me and you both. So. <laughs> <laughs> old names, the old, not any names, the old man on the wall. Just a few. These kids are 17, 18, 19 years old, 20 years old. They couldn't go in and buy a pack of cigarettes. They couldn't sit down, have a beer at the bar. They couldn't vote. But yet, somebody talked, here's a rifle. Go kill somebody. So, I was always against that part of it. But 
I grew up in, in this book here, it tells how I come to be. But I went to uh, Camp Hero, did a lot of other things as a child from eight years old on up. And uh, my life was very unique and hard to understand in a way. But I had special training before I ever even got to Fort Leonardwood, Missouri on my 17th birthday. Going through my basic, then I took my AIT at Fort Cook, Louisiana, and signed up airborne, and I never looked back. But uh, when you moved from, I was I was uh, sitting in the Harlow Grill in Mallows Park when Charles Nicoletti came in and told me, "I want to talk to you, Jeff." I said, "Baby, in a minute, boss." And he shook the machine tool and he says, "Now." I said, "Yes, sir, Mister Nicoletti." So we went for a ride. We talked to him. He told me they were going to do a friend of mine. And I asked, what the hell did he do now? He said, no, not him. He says, we're going to do JFK. I said, okay, fine with me. Because I don't know if the guy's serious, if he's teasing me or pulling my other way. So I said, yeah. But then Chicago people got the word. Tony O'Connor got it. Then it went to Sam Gene Connor. Then he called Charles Nicoletti in. Then Charles Nicoletti come and got me. How did you go from... How'd you go from the Air Force, you know, Vietnam uh, War, all that, you know, living in uh, Alabama to Chicago, and then you ended up around mobsters. So uh, how did it go from the military to the, the mobsters? Question. Well, the military, first of all, my mother left home in 1941. She lived in Alabama, just outside of Jasper. And she went to Mobile, Alabama to seek work. But unfortunately, there was no work at that time. This was right before World War II started. And she met a party by the name of Leslie Sutton. He was a captain on a destroyer in the Navy. And he told her that there's no work, no jobs of any kind, basically, to speak of. He said, but the Navy has a birthing program, and I can introduce you to the people, and you might be of use for service to them. So that was how I come to be. She got into the birthing program. I come out of a test tube. My mother was a servant. Like she carried me for nine months and dropped me. So then at ages, I always had maybe doctors from a baby on up. And at eight years, eight years of age, I went to Camp Hero in Montoya, Long Island, New York. Now, how was the military back then? Because, you know, I, I have a lot of military guys in and CIA guys. You know, you know how it is now. Back then, when you were in the military in the 50s, what was that like? What was that discipline like when you were in there? It was very strict, and uh, I enjoyed the military, and for the first time, I actually found a home, and I loved it, and uh, I took, took the day one from you know, from uh, Fort Leonard, Missouri, and uh, I just you know, enjoyed it. It was uh, strict, but it was good. And we learned how to fight. We learned how to do different things. And what the training they gave me helped save my life. Later, I got into martial arts, studied in the Far East. And the CA picked me up. They took me from the Army. They wanted me from the Army. And the Army, they shredded my 201, turned me over to the CIA. And that's like I say, I went from there. I got out of Veterans Hospital in uh, Broadview, Illinois. And went down to Florida, met Frank Sturgis. He was the first one I met. David Phillips woke me out of the hospital. And I never looked back. It was uh, pretty interesting, you know, down there. So we got through with that. 
I was there for the invasion, uh, for the second invasion when everybody got arrested. And uh, then the Kennedys, you know, come along and Operation Group 40 was formed and George Bush recruited for it. Uh, Luis Posada Carrillas and I, we were the first two recruited for Operation Group 40. What was a worldwide assassination group. We were based out of Mexico City. And uh, <clears throat> finally, Kennedy comes along and the Kennedy's got to go. The reason they wanted to get rid of Kennedy was he gave his famous speech. Beat on the podium and said he was going to uh, break the CIA into a thousand pieces and scatter it to the wind. And what's left, he would give to the JCS. But the reason he wanted to do that was the CIA went around him to kill a general in Europe when the British asked us to help them with it. And uh, John F. Kennedy said, we will not supply the technology, the weaponry, nor the personnel. Forget it. Well, General got away. Kennedy was upset over that. I never understood that because I had known that, you know, I had known that Bob or, uh, you know, JFK had made the promise that he wouldn't go after the mafia and everything else. And then Bobby, the first thing he does is start a, basically, you know, the first thing he does is start an organized crime task force. The mother. When they got Bobby, I was out of the country. <laughs> I don't about it. And, and why did they call on? You know, I grew up in uh, South Philly, so I was around a lot of those guys too. Why did they call uh, Nicoletti? Uh, uh, what they called uh, uh, the typewriter? Yeah, Chucky the typewriter. Yeah. How did he get that name? Uh, from the old days when he was out of the forty-two gang, they were riding on the running boards of the cars, one hand inside, wrapped around the center post, and Thompson in the other hand, and they're shooting like crazy. And uh, but Chuck, he was like a. Fortune 500 owner, I mean, he was always well-dressed, well-mannered, everything. But a lot of the guys come out of the 42 game. Charles Nicoletti, Sam Giancana, uh, Tony Ocardo, the whole crew, I mean. Did you did you know uh, Rayoni, a guy named Mario Rayoni? Mario, no, I did not know him. Uh, Ray, yeah, Rayoni, he was, he was in your area. A lot of you guys are more than me, but I heard a lot of their stories as I up older, I would go drive by their houses in the summer, you know, stop and pick them up and ask them, you want to go to the store, go shopping, and uh, this or that and everything. And they'd tell me all the old stories. I'd carry their groceries back in the house for them and uh, sit on the porch, drink a little black coffee with some anisette in it. And <laughs> they'd tell me about the good old days in Chicago. And so that's why I know so much history about Chicago. Now, from this, why do you think, why do you think, Nicoletti, why do you think he picked you? You know, the, this thing comes down okay. We're, we're going to hit JFK. Why are you? Go ahead. I'm sorry, sir. Oh, I was racing stock cars. So I know he had known me for quite some time and still had Marshall Capano, and I'm sure you've heard of him. Yeah. Well, he, since I was a little kid, in town pulling the little red wagon around. Oh, but, uh, wow. That goes back. Jack used to run, pick me up. But anyway, but Chuck come out to see me at the racetrack and watch me drive. And he just picked up a. Uh, New Ford from uh, Ford Motor Company. And so when it's off, we got through racing. He was waiting and he asked me, he says, come on, said, you want to show me how good you can drive? Uh, he said, I got a new Ford. Show me what you're going to do. So I went out and drove it. He said, no. He said, open it up. Let me know you see your best. So I took him for a ride over in the industrial area. Made fast turns the whole bit. He looked at me and says, you will do. He says, uh, I want to put you to work for me. <laughs> and so he told me, he said, Every two weeks, you'll get a check. You get an envelope for 500 cash. 
Well, back at that time, that was a ton of money. So I went to work and uh, driving the car, and then I took him out to the shooting range on a Saturday morning morning, and he asked me, he said, Jim, you going to take a couple of shots? I said, yeah, if you don't mind, I'd like to. And he said, but here. And I said, oh, no, I've got my guy. He said, sure, guy. He's where's it at? It's under the front seat. So I went got the 45 and come back and he laughed at me. He said, you can't hit nothing. Well, I amazed him with what I could do with a 45. Then he was more amazed with what I could do with a rifle. So anyway, with said Harlow that night, he come in, told me he wanted to talk to me. So till the machine, I went out to get Mr. Nicolay. We took a ride. And then he told me, he said, I want you to go down to Dallas. He says, uh, we can advance, scout the area. He says, what you're going to be is you're going to be the weapons bearer and the driver. And I want you to know all the streets down there in case we have a problem. He said, I want to know the dead end streets. I don't want you going down the dead end. I don't want you going by train crossing where the train's crossing and we got to stop. He says, know everything. That's all I said, got you. Well, don't worry about it. Discovery. So, and he said, I want you to get the weapon. The old baby, uh, Alley plant that made the pinball machines is over on Belmont Avenue today. We had a room down there, storage room, for all of our weapons. And he had told me, he says, go pick out the weapons we might need. He says, I'm not sure what type of shooting we're going to be doing. So I went over and I got everything we needed. I picked up a couple of high power rifles, a shotgun, and I got the Remington Fireball. The Remington Fireball is, uh, I think I got a better picture of the Remington right here. This here is what the Remington Fireball is like. Oh! And uh, it's got a lot of history under it. But this gun here, it was excellent. Why do they it's call it the fireball? Why they This podcast is brought to you by Monster Energy. Tear into a can of the meanest energy drink on the planet, Monster Energy. It's the ideal combo of the right ingredients in the right proportion to deliver a big bad buzz that only Monster can. Monster packs a powerful punch, has a smooth, easy drinking flavor. Athletes, musicians, co-eds, Road warriors, metalheads, geeks, hipsters, and bikers dig it. You will too. Monster Energy is more than just the green OG. Monster has Monster Ultra, Juice Monster, Monster Hydro, Rehab Monster, Dragon Tea, Monster Max, Muscle Monster, and many more. Buy on Amazon, buy on Walmart, or go to monsterenergy.com and believe me, you'll find a place. Unleash the beast. Monster Energy. This episode is brought to you by Let's Get Checked. Are you the man your father was? Recent studies have shown that men's testosterone levels have dropped substantially since the 1980s at about an average of 1% per year. Think about how old your father was when he was born. For example, if he was 30, your testosterone levels could be 30% lower than his. Low testosterone levels can have all type of health effects on men. It can affect your mood, sex drive, memory, muscle mass loss. You name it. And yes, low testosterone is more common the older you get, but it can affect men at any age. So let's talk about today's sponsor, Let's Get Checked. You can order a testing kit that will be delivered to you in a discreet packaging with next day delivery. Once your sample arrives in the laboratory, confidential results will be available from your secure online account within two to five days. So if you want to test your hormone levels without having to leave your home, visit trylgc.com backslash MSCS media and get 25% off your test using the code MSCS media. The link is in the description at the top. Oh, the fireball. Why did they call it the fireball? Well, early on in the day before the Kennedy assassination, they went and they talked to this guy, Wayne Lee, who worked at Remington. 
and they wanted a weapon that was assassination tool, and they wanted Remington to make it. So Lane Leak had been uh, messing around with this one weapon, which later became the fireball, and uh, the fireball is a single-shot bolt-action pistol. It was originally made for a 222 round, but it wouldn't burn all the powder up before it got out of the barrel, and it cracked the barrel sometimes. So then they reduced it to the 221 cartridge. And so they ordered 500 for the CIA and 500 for the FBI. Well, Remington couldn't sell it as an assassination tool. So they called it a farming gun. Hmm. And the gun at that point, nobody really wanted a single shot pistol. Yeah. But today, everybody's buying them. And today, the gun goes for like $3,000 or better. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, I put it back on the I put it back on the chart for Remington because nobody would buy the gun. But after I gave my first interview, confession of an assassin, everybody wanted to know what it was like, and everybody criticized and said, "Oh, he couldn't use that because there's too much power and too much recoil on it." Well, that people from the Green Beret, Delta Force, Recon One, they went out, got a fireball shot. They went online and they said, "Hey, that's the sweetest shooting weapon we've seen." And they said, "There's very little recoil. There's hardly any at all." So they backed me up on that one when I used the fireball. But anyway, uh, we got all, all through that. We got down to Chuck told me he wanted me to drive during daytime, no nighttime drive. Didn't want me to get stopped by the cops. So I drove during the day, evening come, well then got a room. Next morning got up, went on to Dallas. I stayed at the Lamplighter End in uh, Mesquite, Texas. And... Uh, I called the next morning. I called Chuck, told him I was there as on location. Now I called David Alley Phillips, who was my controller at that time. Today we call him Handlers. But uh, even with the FBI agent Zach Shulman that busted me for the hijacking, he had checked with him and said he was shocked to find out that I had 28 years in with the agency. And uh, actually, Zach Shulman and I became uh, pretty good friends. Uh -huh. FBI agent ever liked. <laughs> but, uh, I went down there the next morning there at the uh, Mesquite Motel, Lee Harvey Oswald showed up and he was to show me around Dallas and help me with the streets and everything. And so I opened the door, asked him, I said, what the hell are you doing here? Because I had known Lee for quite some time before that because I used to run guns down to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and he would take them there to New Orleans and ship them to Papa Doc. But Papa Doc was killed. Then we shipped a baby doc. So, and then what, a, lot, a lot of people involved in the gun run. Oh, yeah. And, and then and, roughly maybe a week before everything happened with JFK, didn't you overhear Oswald saying, everybody's going to blame me for this or something along those lines? No, I never heard Oswald say that, no. Or, or somebody had said, uh, you know, you're, you're hanging around with them too much or something? Lee Harvey Oswald and I never talked about the JFK assassination the five days we spent together and rode around. I'm glad you cleared that up because everywhere you look, because you, you, you know all the bullshit around. And the Dallas Cowboys, the whole bit. And we stopped at a couple of the 7-Elevens and uh, all stuff. He would go in and he would buy like orange juice and fruit stuff. Me, I'd get a Pepsi and a snowball cup cake or something like that. He'd always tell me about, why do you eat that junk food? That's not healthy. You know, Lee Harvey Algo was really a health nut. Wow. He was very intelligent. I have a top secret security clearance. I work in Japan at the spy base. You have to be smart. Yeah, you have to be. And, uh, we put the time in. 
And unbeknown to me, they had already decided where they were going to hit Kennedy. But Charles Nicoletti always used me for his sounding board like if we was going to make a hit. So I walked it, looked at it, checked it over. I chose the Dow Tech building. I did not know they chose it two weeks prior. Eugene Hubbard, with the California man, was called He had people there. He had the connections to the building. They moved the people out of that one office on uh, Houston Street there so the truck could have a clear shot. They told them they were going to remodel the room and paint it and all this. They moved a lot of stuff in. And so the morning there, when Charles Nicoletti and Johnny Groselli went in to that room, the room was locked behind them. Eugene Hubbard hung around outside. And once the action all started, he didn't want to let them out with somebody running by the room and this and that. But everybody was over, the one that's looking, he opened the door. They walked out, went down the stairs, went outside, got in the car. Where I had the car parked, I had official business signs made up. I had one laying on the dash by the windshield where they could see it. So that way no cops would bother. We had a 63 Chevy Impala, two-door super sport. And it was a burgundy color, not red, burgundy. And that's in the Warren Commission report that it was burgundy. So uh, after it was all, when when uh, Kennedy got right and started down the street, shots started to ring out. I must grab the Nolan and I'm ready and I'm waiting. I'm counting miss, 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 but I'm not counting one, two, three, four. I am counting miss, miss, because we're going for a headshot. So when it comes time, I was going to lose my field of fire. And uh, I took the shot. I got Kennedy in the right temple, right there. Took the back of his head out. And this uh, magazine here is a life magazine. And uh, it's the original. It's not a copy. And we even got the date and the address out here where it was mailed to and everything. Wow. So we got in here. And the last picture in it, it's got a lot of, a lot of large pictures in here. This is right after yeah. the Warren Commission came out yeah. and they were just proving how they had solved the case. Anyway, it shows where Jack is crawling out on the trunk. I can't, I can't get to that picture there. So if you want to show it, pick it up, show it. But there uh, it is. Sure. And, and you know what's odd, Mr. Files, is, is that usually by, in history, mob guys aren't usually the best shot. And uh, Nicoletti no. was one of the shooters, right? Right. So General Lansdell, he was grounds controller. He was Johnny Roselli was the backup shooter. He was the license between the CIA and the Chicago mob. But Lansdell wanted me to be the shooter. I had did a couple of jobs previous for Lansdell. And like he told him, they called me, you know, the kid. Everybody referred to me back then as the kid. Jimmy Sutton, <laughs> kid. He don't miss. He said he's proven it under pressure and in fire at times in different countries. So. They told Johnny Roselli to stand down. I was backup shooter behind the fence. And when Chuck asked me that morning to be his backup, and I told him I would be honored. And he wouldn't know what I what was I going to use. I told him I would use the fireball. And he said, Why that? You've only got one shot. I said, one shot's all I need. If I'm waiting till the last second to take a shot, yeah. I will not have time to reload and get another shot. Wow. I said, so first shot will be it. So when the, they come down Elm Street. Through the plaza, I waited, and I counted, miss, 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 miss. And I was going to lose my fuel of fire, and I took the shot. And the only thing Chuck ever said to me about it was when we got back and got in the car, he said, Jimmy, don't you think you fired too soon? 
And I said, no, I was going to lose my fuel of fire. And then Johnny Roselli was in the back seat. He reached between the bucket seats and I was waiting on. He said, here's the brass. He said, Chuck's brass. And he gave me four cases. So I knew Chuck had taken four shots. Mm. Four shots on me. Now, you know all the talk about that magic bullet that doesn't even have a mark on it? So if, if you Google uh, magic bullet, a, a lot of podcasts, a lot of books, they talk about it. They talk about it as being one of the bullets that was shot, but there, there's no marking on it at all. I, I didn't know if you were familiar with all that and everything. About all that, but the casing, I ejected the shell casing from the fireball. I put it in my mouth, put the fireball in the briefcase, closed it, set it up on its end, took my jacket off. My jacket had been reversed because I'd been working in the railroad yard, walking back there, piece of chalk riding on boxcars like I was a railroad worker. I stuck the hat inside my jacket and part of the iron to break the door. So I took my coat off, pulled the hat off, put the coat, reversed it, put it off, put the hat on, picked up the briefcase to walk away. But what'd you do with the shell casing? I bit the shell casing and left it on the stockade fence because I started to walk away. Now, then, a lot of people said, uh, you know, it took a lot of time, this and that. They was asked, how long did it take? I said, less than half a minute, probably. No more than 30 seconds. A good friend of ours, Ron Fry, when he seen it, he went out and he bought a fireball himself, got a briefcase, made a pad inside for it for the weapon, and he went and got a coat like the one I had a car coat, you know, like three-quarter length, and he's over there. So he went and he rehearsed it several times, and he said his best time Perspiring, putting the weapon away, reversing the coat, putting it on, the hat on, and walking away was 28 seconds. Wow. That's... So, now, could, could I you... I did not walk in front of the pagoda. I walked behind the pagoda. <laughs> I now, crossed Houston by the Daltec building and got in the car. Chuck and Johnny was already in. But who was by the Daltec building? As George you Bush was against the building with one foot up against the wall. I looked at him, but we didn't make really make eye contact and we didn't nod or recognize each other but it looked like old home week down there because there's so many cubans around and even frank sturgis was there and uh olivera one of the cubans that worked for the cia was also a 5-0 for the fbi for those who don't know who a 5-0 is as an informant and he gave my name up right after the assassination and they knew about me since uh, January or February 1964. And then, uh, Mr. Files, if you could talk a little bit about the Mercury. Well, the Mercury Ronda, I did not make the rounds. A guy by the name of George Calora, known as the Wolfman. Wolfman. He was the one that did all the special work for us, did the uh, rework weapons and everything else. He made the Mercury rounds for me. And the only thing he asked me was, when he made them up, he says, do you need any help this time? And I said, thanks, but it's out of time. I'm going to be gone. I says, I got it covered. And he said, okay. Said, if you need me, he says, you got my number. So, so that was that. Then, uh, Bob Dylan wrote a song called Murder Most Foul. And it's a new song just recently put out. 2020. 2020 it was. And uh, at the end of the song, it says, World, world, is thou man?" Because, like, we need Wolfman now. Gotcha. Yeah, I think we do. Yeah. So, uh, what was other than that? I know you had some questions you want to ask, but anyway, like I say, uh, this was actually my third book. My wife came to Stateville Prison to see me. 
I was in Stateville prison for the attempted murder of two two police officers. Thirty years, yeah, right? Thirty um, years for contract. that. Thirty years, Pardon right? Me? Thirty years for that, I sir. Got 50. fifty. I got fifty years. That's I had to serve under the old law. It was day for day. So I served twenty five days. And I served every day of <laughs> and uh I served twenty five years, twenty three estate bill. They had a US Marshal's detainer on me, which can be checked out. And uh they had another case they wanted for. But they messed around and waited till the witness died, so then they ordered me out of state bill and they moved me up with out the detainer on me, they sent me to Danville. I did my last two years in Danville, Illinois, which is a medium joint. Yeah. And I prefer Stateville the maximum to the medium joint. May sound crazy, but that's a fact. Yeah. But, uh, well, at least you got to a medium. Pretty well made, huh? At least you got to a medium and got out of the pens and the high security. You, know. <laughs> you got the pen. Anyway, you, you got not, uh, Mr. Files, now you have the Supermax. The max, the pen, the medium, the low, the camp. You, you got 27 different names now. They would never let me go to a camp for a Milwaukee, I believe. <laughs> I believe that. I believe that. I have a long history of violence behind me. <laughs> I live with death every day almost. Well, you, you have a lovely wife that loves you to death, and, and I'll tell you what, you, you're you lucky. You know, she came to, to write you in, in prison and everything, and whenever I see that, that, that's such a special thing because, you know, it's just special, you know. prison was a real rough place, and I think the good Lord had learned how to fight and did martial arts and everything, so anyway. So what, really, uh, why would Oswald even take that risk, you, you know, because he was... Why I don't think he had any idea how serious it was going to be. Oh, okay. And then, and then all those and years, he, he never says anything. He was the best. And if you want to talk about Oswald, first of all, I don't believe Oswald is dead. No. I mean by now, but I do not believe they killed him in the basement. When Jack Ruby went down to shoot him, if you notice the angle of the pistol, the thirty-eight shot in the abdomen, not a killer shot. Lee Harvey Oswald was arrested. Pair of work pants on, t-shirt. And they took him in. He was yelling, I didn't shoot nobody. I didn't shoot nobody. Now, when they're taking him out from the city jail to the county jail, and I know for a fact because I have been arrested many, many times, been fingerprinted probably over 100 times, and uh, they brought Lee Harvey Oswald out. He was not wearing a jumpsuit that said Dallas City Jail. Hmm. And he was on his way to the county jail. And if you look at the film and watch it, they bring it down. He's laughing and joking with all the officers. There's a lot of people down there. An awful lot. Now that he's wearing a clean T-shirt underneath, you see that next to it. And he's got the white shirt, the collar's out over the sweater. And when you check, pull the sweater up on good, clear picture and take a magnifying glass, there is no hole through none of the shreds on it. Where's been this? No holes. So it looked like they used a blank. He went to the ground. They're on top of Jack Ruby. The gun went off. All the officers down there, nobody pulled a gun. If I'm in a crowded room and I'm an officer, even if I'm not an officer, if I got a gun, if somebody fires a weapon, mine comes out in a heartbeat. Especially if you're an officer, right? Especially if you're an officer. Now, he's been joking with everybody. Plus, he's wearing dress pants, trousers. He's got the old line penny loafer shoes on. When we're transferred, we wear jumpsuits and what we call Peter Pan shoes, <laughs> where you can't run. And if you break a loose and get out of police custody in the crowd, you got to jumpsuit on, they're going to spot you right away. 
they do not transfer you on regular civilian clothes because you would blend with the crowds. And so, I don't know, I just, uh, and when the ambulance picked out as well up at the uh, police station there at the Dallas City Jail, there was a name on the right-hand passenger door, name of the ambulance, I forget the name of it, but they had a name on it. But when it got to Parkland, it was a different ambulance. There was no name on the right-hand door, and you had a clear picture of it. So I just think he got transferred to another location somewhere. He did not seem like he was worried about going to trial, going to county jail for murder or anything else. It's like he was going on vacation. So I always, in my heart, believe Lee Harvey Alpha was not killed because I just couldn't wrap my brain around it. But nothing made sense that happened that day. And, and you've been in there. If you're looking at a sentence like that, you're going to be a little bit worried sitting in there. You're not going to be walking around yeah, like everything's okay. Trying to throw you to the wolves. No, no, especially not when you're getting accused of killing a president. I don't think you're going to be joking with any guards or anything like that. And nobody no. knows better than you because you just did 25 years in there. I mean. And uh, like I say, Stateville was a rough place, but my wife, we first met, she flew over. And, uh, well, first of all, I'm going to go back a little bit. I want to go back to 1999. I've been really rough in there, fighting and Stabbing, whatever I had to do, somebody come at me with a shake and take it away from them, stick them with their own shake. So, anyway, the warden at the time when I first got the stable was Salvatore Godinus, nickname Tony, Tony Godinus. And we grew up together. So, we knew each other from you know the Chicago area there. So, anyway, he made sure I got taken care of, got good cells, I got everything I needed, got to go to the store, buy my own TV, typewriters, and all that stuff. But, uh, I was real bad about fighting. Anybody that looks the wrong way, you fight. Because you don't back down. If you're weak in prison, you're in trouble. You better stand your ground and fight. Yes, sir. And I see a lot of guys taking their own lives. I actually saw the gang throw the captain off the railing over there one day in the tin, tin gallery, and he bounced off the floor and broke like a watermelon. And that was the captain of the guards. So after all this rough stuff was going on and everything, I woke up one morning. It was 19 and 99. At the lower bunk. This, this is about six months after I started writing to him. And, and just telling the Lord. So I woke up and I looked and Jesus is kneeling beside my bunk. I threw my legs off the edge and I asked him, I said, what are you doing here? And he said, the Father sent me to tell you that the only way to him is through me, Jesus Christ. And so I was shocked. So we talked for a little bit and everything. And actually in I'm not sure. I think it's in this book here, maybe. That one or either interview with history. The poem, I wrote a poem about it called The Midnight Visitor. So I, the next morning, I went to the child. And man, I'm loving everybody. I love you, brother. Hey, great. And wow. everybody told me it was a dream. I said, no, it was real. I said, it was real. I said, I know Jesus was there. And they told me, yeah, a dream. They really, they really thought you lost it then. They really thought they were ready to send you to the loony bin at that point. Mind bear, he had four natural life sentences he was doing. And I said, Come up there, slap me up. Turn my cheek, you slap the other one. He's crazy. <laughs> so I grabbed him by the ear and I just banged, we banged heads together. He went down to his knees <laughs> and the guard jacked the 12 gauge up in the tower in the, in the chow. And it was, Hey, we're friends, don't worry about it. <laughs> he said, I'd hate to be your enemy. Now, now so, days, nowadays, you'd be in the hole for 10 years for that. So then anyway, it's about I don't know, a couple of months later, I wake up and Jesus is there again. And I thought, 
Jesus, you're back. He said, what's wrong? What happened? He said, the father told me to come and tell you, get your life together. He will soon call you home. And I said, when? Jesus turned my life around while he was there visiting. And in some of my interviews and documentaries, there's this guy, Bruce Bradcheck. I call him my little brother. I've known him since 69. And uh, he was going to an executive meeting in uh, Springfield. When he got the word, somebody called him and told him, they killed Jimmy last night. He called, canceled his meeting, turned around and come back to stable prison. When he walked in, he saw the one sergeant there, and he said, what happened to Jimmy? He said, what do you mean, what happened to him? And Bruce said, well, they killed him last night. He said, well, he's the healthiest corpse I've ever seen. But they killed a guy four cells down from me, and his name was Jimmy. But anytime somebody said, Jimmy, everybody thought it was me they were talking about. And, and how much of a role, uh, and not to take you back, but how much of a role did the Secret Service have in the JFK? Because they, they helped with information to protect you. They supplied information and everything, and the driver of the car when the first shot was fired, they're trained to hit the gas to the floor, put the pedal to the metal, and get the hell out of Dodge. But he hit the brakes and came almost to a stop. He never stopped, but I'm going to say he slowed to within two miles an hour. And he gave the shooter plenty of time to shoot. Now, I, I had read a bunch around that time about the ambassador. Am I saying it right? Ambassador house. It's actually a tor torture house, right? But they called it an ambassador. The ambassador house on a fire base was in Vietnam. Embassy. The embassy house. And uh, not even the base commander could come there, but we had a prisoner that we went out and got a prisoner, brought him in, and we wanted to interrogate him. We did it in there. And it was brutal. I wasn't prepared for it the first time, but after that I was. But it kind of took me by surprise. And, and and don't say too much because we want everybody to get the book. But is there anything you could tell me about Operation Northwoods? Operation Northwoods is where we trained, uh, I shouldn't say we, they trained other people to fly airplanes in the buildings and to crash them into it. They, the now, CIA. That was the CIA. I had no part of that involved in training people for that. I was busy with some other operations. But 9-11 uh, was basically a cutout right from Northwoods. Wow. And uh, Northwoods, uh, the Twin Towers, when they went down, I watched in my jail cell, prison cell from Stateville that morning, and I said the planes didn't bring the buildings down, they imploded. But the buildings had come four less straight down. And... Uh, you are a demolition. Yeah, expert. I studied demolition. I worked demolition with the school for demolition. I went to the School of Americas. I don't know if you've ever heard of them or not. They went down in South America and they got one in uh, Central America and got one here in uh, Georgia. Yeah, I, I had an agent, and actually, that goes along with exactly what you said. And he had sent 3,600 uh, professional engineers independently to investigate the 9 11 attack. All 3,600 engineers came back with demolition. He had given that yep. report to Rumsfeld and Bush. They didn't like it. They moved him back to the street, and they took the report that they liked. That, yep. I mean, that's what was said, and I mean, the guy has the credentials, and I sat right across from him. Well, first of all, no airplane could bring those buildings down. Next of all, the only thing that could cut the uh, steel uh, beams inside to support was actually thermite. And it had to be a new thermite 
which is called nanothermite. Smart. And uh, Mr. Files also, he had told me that, uh, and he actually showed me, three weeks prior to 9-11, they had changed uh, all the elevators in every building. Three weeks prior, changed every elevator in every building. Why would you do it? I didn't get it at first. You know, I'm sitting here, and he goes, well, the ah. Buildings, the buildings have been condemned. The buildings have been condemned, and they had to remove the asbestos out of the buildings and put in a newer insulation, which is going to cost not millions, but a couple of billion dollars. And they stole a lot of airplane stock off the day before the attacks on the towers. And uh, they needed an excuse to go in there to wire each floor of the building to implode. So changing the elevators, somebody takes the elevator and they want to exchange the elevator. They got somebody else working on the beams, putting the nano panel. Mm. And then uh, could you elaborate on the, uh, I hope I'm saying this right, uh, the Bay of the Pigs evasion? I read it, but I want to hear about it from you. Well, the Bay of Pigs, I took it hook, line, and sinker. They really wanted to give it to Castro, but they didn't because the agency was in bed with Castro. And don't forget, the agency put Castro in the power. Batista wanted too big a piece of the pie, which is under narcotics trade. At that time, all the heroin was coming in from uh, the Golden Triangle, which is Southeast Asian Burma over there. And, uh, they had a group of violence off the coast of Cuba there called the Isles of Youth, uh, or the Isles of, yeah, Isles of Right. So Castro took over and we kicked Batista out. That he changed the name of the islands to the Isles of Youth. Mm. All the stuff, all the heroin that was manufactured produce and uh, the Isles of Youth there crossed over the channel to the Yucatan. All the heroin came up through the Yucatan and up through Mexico. That's how heroin got the name Mexican mud. Hmm. So I thought they wanted cancer debt. I didn't know it, but I found out, I think it was 76 or something like that, 77. We were on our way to Santiago, Chile. We were overthrowing the LAFA government to put Pinochet in the power. We ended 80 years of not good government, but decent government to put in the worst machine they had ever saw. The one kid that was there that was going to be one of the shooters with the TV cameras with the gun was mounted. Got appendicitis, we put him in the hospital. But Michael Vernon Townley told me, he said, Well, this job is over with. And I said, What the hell do you mean? I said, I can outshoot either one of them kids. He said, You don't understand. He got me off to the side, told me, he says, We're not here to kill Castro, we're here to save Castro. I says, What do you mean? Michael Vernon Townley was a CA contract agent. He also was a lieutenant colonel in the DINA, which was the secret police of Chile. And so he said, When the kids go to Gil, Castro's, I step up and I shoot both of them. He said, this way, I'm a hero with the DINA, I'm a hero with the CIA, and I'm one of Castro's heroes. Win, 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 right? I can't do it. Pardon me? I said, said, at the time, win, 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 right? Yeah. So, uh, even his wife, uh, I think her wife was named Mary Allen. His wife, I'm trying to remember that. Had a couple of good-looking kids. Anyway, but even she was, when we got back into the, the States and Latiri was blown up in the car September 21st, 1976 on Sheridan Circle, a.k.a. Embassy Road, she made a statement. She said, not only is my husband a killing machine, he is also a talking machine to the news media. Not good. So, <coughs> not good. Not good. So the Cubans that were there on the corner waiting that morning for us 
they started running when the car went up, which was, uh, I think it was a Chevelle that he was driving. And uh, Ronnie Moffat was killed in the front seat with Orlando Leteria. Michael Moffat was in the back seat. He survived the blast. And uh, I guess several people go to jail over that, the Cubans. And it was just a big mess. That's all there was to it. It had nothing to do with JFK. That was just a totally different, different situation. Yeah, I, I just was curious about it. And was I think it was October the twelfth they blew up the Cuban airliner, killing seventy some people to take the heat off of uh, DC. And but then a lot of people were because Latier was killed on the Sheridan Circle. But when they said get rid of him, they didn't say where. So some guys, some wanted to be a smart ass. We decided to do the job by the embassy, and he was killed right in front of the uh, Romanian embassy. Now, Nicoletti, Nicoletti, he died around the same time in 77, right? He died uh, 19, he did, died March 29th, 1977. Okay. The night he was killed, I got trouble seeing this guy's name in Dallas. What was this guy's name in Dallas? Say his name? George Chilt. Yeah, he died that morning, and they killed Chuck that night. Jeez. And they were both supposed to testify before the Warren Commission, or not the Warren Commission, but the House of Assassination. And, uh, Sam Jean Connor was killed shortly before that. He was killed in uh, 70, 75, yeah. But he was supposed to testify before Congress. Close to the Hoffa thing. Yeah, him and Jimmy Hoffa died within six weeks of each other. The government killed Sam Jean Connor. And we know that for a fact because they had three uh, law enforcement agencies watching them that night. And they all three at 11.45 went to midnight snack at the same time. That don't happen on stakeouts. No. But they gave uh, the party that assassinated, killed Sam Giancana, they gave him 45 minute window to work to do the job. And I like Sam. I thought Sam was a great guy. I used to take Sam shopping a lot. Sam, I'd be with him and he'd be buying a fish or I'd be in his house in the basement. He'd be cooking a fish and he'd go, Jimmy boy, see that fish? Yeah, what about it, Sam? Keep his mouth shut be alive today. <laughs> uh how much? Was a good guy. How much did Joe West mean to you? I like Joe West, but recently I found out that he wasn't the person I thought he was. I found out he worked for the CIA. I was informed of that not no more. What two months ago? Maybe less. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, and then I he like Joe West. I trusted him. He died because I the information I gave him. I told him that John F. Kennedy's body was not buried at Army. He was trying to get uh, John JFK's body exhumed where he could take it and match it and check it out. And I told him, I said, just wanted to see if the body's there or not. They will never dig it up. I said, but I'm going to give you information that will. And that's when I told Joe West I used mercury rounds and there will be traces of mercury in the brain and in the skull. Because the mercury wouldn't go away, that. right? That would be there no matter what. Right. Never goes away. Never goes away. Joe West, Joe West died shortly thereafter. They claimed he had a problem with his uh, heart, this and that. A routine yeah. heart surgery. Yeah. He went in for routine. They went in. He died while he was there. And he couldn't talk. And he got a pen and a paper. And his wife and daughter was there. He's scribbling up. Get me out of here. They're trying to kill me. And the nurse, all of the elephants were trying to kill him. Yeah. 45 right. minutes later, Joe West was dead. Was he healthy before that? Did he have any problems before that? Was he healthy before uh, that? 
for yourself, but uh, you know, you shouldn't have died on that one. Right. We had a court case going against. Uh, it was a legal court case to try and get the body exhumed. It wasn't just you know he's an investigator or a researcher writing a book about. It. He had the legal proceedings going and. They basically couldn't let that turn into where they were assuming the body because it's not there. You tell them where the body is. Well, the body is buried at sea up there by Martha's Vineyard out there in the ocean. And the concrete uh, coffins, like they make the concrete balls with caskets. They just put the body in there and it had holes in it big enough that you could put a softball through one of the holes. But they put the holes in there so it would sink and not come up. And if you don't butcher the body, cut the ladder open and everything to summer. Gas is built up and it will float, even fall and chain back to the top. Of the back world. to the top, right. And then uh, how much did, you know, and you had mentioned, and uh, as did your wife and uh, co-author, uh, Bob Vernon, uh, how, how much of a benefit was he to you and and uh, Pamela Ray as well? Well, Bob Vernon, uh, I sure like the guy we tried to get along with. I just got upset with him, and I didn't want no part of him. And he was not truthful or anything else. And then he cheated Joe West, his wife. I would not have done the first interview with the patient assassin, because all the money was to go to Joe West, his widow, to pay hospital bills to get her out of debt. Huh. Bob Vernon was... never gave her a dime. What? A, what? A, that's just wrong. There, to me, there's wrong and wrong. That's just wrong. I didn't even want to do the interview. But with her needing the money and everything else, I said, okay, I'll do the interview. And like Bob Burns said, it was the longest day of his life because I walked over to the one in the room where we were talking and everything. He gave us a private room to talk in. And I was looking out the one that I turned around and told him, I said, okay, I'll do the interview, bring in the cameras. And before I did the interview, though, I had Tony Godinez on a Sunday morning call Texas, and I talked to Ann Richards, who was the governor of Texas at that time. I knew Ann Richards personally because I did a couple of favors to her when she first started out in politics. Made some of her problems go away. So anyway, so he called her and said, I've got a man here at Stateville that says he knows you. She said, who's that? He said, well, he's doing time with the name of Jimmy Files. He says, but you would know him as Jimmy Sutton. And she said, oh, is Jimmy there? And he said, yeah. She said, put him on. He said, you're on the speaker, Governor Richards. And so I asked her, I said, they want me to give an interview on John F. Kennedy. If I give the interview, will Texas indict me? Because only Texas could indict me. But when Kennedy was killed with the state law, you couldn't kill a president. In 65, they made it a federal law, you couldn't kill a president. Hmm. And she told me, she said, Jimmy, you, we'll build you a monument, Texas, you're a hero. But she <laughs> had a few other clover words in there with her because she swore like a saver. She was a good lady. And, and then when I gave the interview. And then when it do you? Took me, I gave me thirty years to go to fifty, and gave me eighty years altogether. It took me two and a half years to get to thirty years to run concurrent with the fifty. Huh. Well, they wanted you forever, buddy. They, they they couldn't make it more difficult with the consecutive. How many different places did they ship you to? Oh, all over. I went from coast to coast. <laughs> and, and prior to that, through the through the army and everything that you had done before. You're talking about prison, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in prison. Yeah, they, they call it deep. Now they call it diesel therapy. I don't know what they called it then, but back nowadays they call it diesel therapy. Back then you went out, they called it the circuit back then. <laughs> but when you went on the circuit, you never got your mail. Your mail never caught up with you. 
<laughs> and then, uh, when, what year do you actually get out finally? I got out in May of 2016. Uh, uh, I was uh, posted right here Wednesday, May 31st for one night only. They had it work. I killed JFK and they had me on the big screen in the theaters across the country. Wow. And who's that good looking guy behind you? Who's that good? Who's that good looking guy back there in the military suit? Right behind your head. There's a real good looking guy back there. Who's that? General Lansdale. Oh, I, thought, I thought that was you. <laughs> no, that was General Lansdale. Oh, cool. And you got George Bush. And we got several other people here. We got Tony Ricardo, Sam Giancana, Charles Nicoletti, Johnny Roselli. Johnny Roselli. Yeah. I even got a picture of Jackie down here. This is a picture I did with colored pencil. I did this one of Jackie. That's good. That's how she looked that day. That's good. So now that's an all painting I did a state film. Wow, so so you you're really good with art. We didn't think he was ever gonna get out alive. I asked her to marry me and she said yes because she thought I'd never get out. (laughs) (laughs) And I told her I told her I says when we got married, I said I won the lottery. I'm sorry, but you got the booby price. So now, Mrs. Files, when you when James comes out, how does that feel? When James walks out and and you get to touch James and be with James, how does that feel? Well, the he got out in 2016, and I was still over in Hawaii, and he was um he was people were still trying to kill him because Hillary was running for president. Oh, yeah. And and he was supposed to move to Hawaii. I wasn't supposed to move to Illinois. Okay, <laughs> Illinois is not my thing, really. But hey, I'm learning to have it be my thing. Um, you know, I've spent almost 40 years in Hawaii. That's where my kids, and my grandkids are. So yeah, and he was supposed to come over there. And then um, all the all the attempts on his life pretty much stopped after I got here. And then. Um, we lived in a really bad neighborhood. <sighs> they had me locked into three counties. I could only live in either Will County, Cook County, or Lake County. And he had to check in all the time. And they were treating him like uh, he had to jump through all the extra hoops. He already did all his time. He shouldn't have even done parole. But then he had to do all this extra stuff. I mean, just like seriously. How much parole did they give you? Pardon me? How much parole did they give you? Three years. Three years. Would they put you on a color code? I did every day. I did every day on my time because no parole was necessary. Yeah. They sent me from uh, Danville Prison to 1850 Garfield, West Garfield Avenue there in Chicago. I was the only white guy there. And when I arrived there, the man that ran the place was like, he did not want me there. And he asked me, he said, Mr. Bob, could you come to my office, please? And I said, sure. And then he said, why do you think they sent you here? I said, well, I got my theory, but what's yours? He said, they want you dead. He said, they will kill you here for just being white. He says, please. He said, don't let it go. I was electronic monitor on my ankle. And I was allowed three days out a week to leave eight, eight o'clock in the morning. But I had to be back by four o'clock in the afternoon. I got three days a week out every other day. Like so, uh. He told us, please don't go out, don't go walk in there. 
I said, I'm not scared. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going out. So if I got a chance to get some exercise and walk, I'm going. That's what I did. But uh, it was a rough place there. And then when Pam finally came over and we got married, we left there to leave the house one morning and there's a squad car parked over. He's writing something up. And I walked over and saw him. His name was Campbell. And uh, I asked him, I said, I've been hearing that. Uh, what do you call them? Fighting armor is illegal in Full Illinois. Bulletproof vest. Bulletproof vest. So it's illegal here in Illinois. And he said, only if you're a felon. He said, if you're not a felon, he said, you can have one. So I want to go on to my wife. And he said, who's wife? It's my wife right over there. She said, uh, he said, well, where do you live? I said, right over there. And he looked at me and said, how long have you been there? I said, three years. He says, and you're still alive. <laughs> <laughs> While you're talking to me, aren't you? The gangbangers had a shootout when I was there, and the bullets went right through the house, right over my head, and they almost got me. Jeez. And five days before we moved, they went across the street, and they went in the house, and they shot the gangbanger, cut his throat, killed him. Five days before we moved away, got down, we ran down. Anyway, though, but it's... Uh, I've well, never been around anything like that. I saw probably four people killed right there in front of the house while I was there. My uh, my, my friend, he lives in uh, Schamburg, Sh uh, Illinois. And his... Schamburg, yeah. And, and he always loves to take his son to the subway. He told me he can't even take his son to the subway now because his son would love to watch the trains go by. He said, I can't even take my boy there now because they're just firing on everybody. So when you when you come out and you see how the world is and it's just a mess and now what what does what does Mr. Files what do you you know you're very smart intelligent everything that's going on now currently what's everybody missing what is it with all this BS with all this green and missing out on China because China is not our friend and China does not love us China has fought a land around the earth. Air Force bases, where we've got rockets, they can jam the signals where we can't fire the rockets. And now they started buying up all the land in the Midwest of where they can grow food, and they want to take control of our food so they can control us. And and correct China. me and correct me if I'm wrong. Their uh, nukes, missiles, whatever you want to call them, they have them at the point now where they're faster than the speed of sound. Where by the time we even knew it was coming, it would are it would be too late. Well, I don't know if they've got that or not, because I've been out of circulation too long to be on the inside to know what's going down. But uh, they're trusting the wrong people. Wrong people. So right now, Iran and Russia is the puppets for China. Mm -hmm. I, you, you know, but I, I think a lot of people my age and, and younger, they forget that China has patience. They don't care. They want to be world leader, right, Mr. Files? I mean, that's what they want. They, they'll give up anything. Long-range plan. And, uh, if you remember, probably 12 to 15 years ago, they had to pull the pet food off the shelf here because the pet food was made in China. They were killing our pets. That was the forerunner for CBW to see how it goes. CBW is chemical biological warfare. Yep. And so after that, now, they come out with this COVID-19 where they released it over there in the lab and this and that, and now they're bringing the fentanyl in and killing people. What they're doing is they have declared war on us, and we're too stupid to realize it. And uh, they're killing Americans every day, hundreds of us. And I had uh, 
I had uh, Roger Reeves in, uh, very nice guy, very, very nice guy, uh, beautiful wife like yourself, Mr. Files, and he had flown marijuana uh, from Mexico to all the states in the 50s, 60s, part of the 70s, and he got nailed and got 30, 40 years, whatever it was. And he said when he would went, went to pick up the loads of cannabis going into the United States, it was different than the loads going to every other country because all the drugs coming to the U.S. had more addictive properties in them than any other country. Everything was specifically different going to the U.S. I thought that was insane. And this episode is sponsored by Aurora. Do you know what the fastest growing crime in America is? For years, this crime rate has been surging and affecting millions of Americans. I'm talking about identity theft, and there's a new victim every 14 seconds. Yet despite this, those who have had their identity stolen are often shocked when it happens. That's why I'm excited to partner with Aurora, who is sponsoring this video. Aurora is identity theft protection, fraud monitoring, a VPN, password management, and antivirus software all into one easy-to-use app. Their VPN allows you to stay anonymous online by keeping your browsing history and personal information safe and encrypted. Protect you and your family from America's fastest growing crime. Try Aurora for free for two weeks and see if you or anyone in your family's personal information has been compromised. Start your free trial today. Go to aurora.com slash MSCS. The link is in the description below. Put a poison on the marijuana that was killing American people. And that was what, 25, 30 years ago? Yeah. Paraguay. Yeah, Paraguay, yeah. So, I don't know if you can see this picture here or not, but it's a picture of Tom Groups. I can see part of it. Made in America. And at the top of it, it says, it's not a crime if you're doing it for the good guys. Is it? That's what's it, written on top of the book. Just, <laughs> put, just put it on the TV and you'll see that that's proof. Yeah, but I flew with Barry Seals quite a few times. Congratulations. And then uh, you get out, uh, you meet your wife, and then, now, do you have the DVD yet at this time, or the v like, do you have the video out yet at this time? When, when does the video come out? Not yet. Okay. Uh, we got one we want to put out. I'm working on a nice call. I want to call it Reflections, and it's where I'm taking a trip down memory lane back to the JFPSS station and what happened and on forward. And you hope to have that out by November of 23, right? Or I hope to have it out by at least July or August of 2023. And then, uh, Mrs. Files, uh, aren't you guys going to be in Dallas, Texas? You're going to be in Texas, right? Uh, yeah, I did not go for the 59th anniversary, but we do want to go there for the 60th anniversary, providing my health will permit me to go. You're a straw, Mr. Files. You ain't going nowhere. And you've got a beautiful wife well, who loves you. He's going to live to 100. Yeah. He's, He's got to. Like He's got I'm, to. Uh, you guys need each other. I got a machine hey, here. All the action is about to happen. <laughs> 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 I got COPD real bad. Not from drinking or smoking. Because I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't do drugs. I don't do basically anything. One bad habit. She said I should have smoked marijuana. Probably wouldn't have done it. That was execute people along the way. This but this machine with 35 and a half pounds is an oxygen machine that takes the regular air and makes pure oxygen. And that's what I wear. And I've got a nebulizer with medication that, that I also use. You sound, you sound great. You're sharp. Right before, uh, pardon me? 
you, you, you sound great. You're very sharp. I mean, yeah. you for 25 years in that shithole, excuse my language, well, shitholes. Shit I started out, I've had my right hand crushed, all my teeth knocked out, my upper gum ripped out, we got overrun on the fire base. I've got dentures, I got them making 69, still got the same dentures. They honor me, did an excellent job on those. Uh, took shrapnel in the neck, yeah. got blown off a cliff, it was on an angle. My ribs is broken on both sides. My chest was caved in, and I've had both legs shot. And I'm still walking. I counted two planes I crashed from the jungle, and uh, the helicopter was blown out from under me with an RPG-7. Mr. Files, I would say your time has not come yet. <laughs> I just got to say the good Lord is busy looking after me. And you get, and you got somebody else right next to you too. My wife and I was at the doctor's office about a year and a half ago, a year ago, and uh, he's reading the X-rays on my ribs and everything. And he told me, he says, "Oh, you told me, Mr. Fudge, you told me your ribs had been broken on both sides." He said, "But you never told me your chest was caved in." I forgot. How do you how do you forget? How do you forget that? <laughs> He's like, ah, Mr. Files, you have broken ribs, no arm, no leg. Oh, you're missing a foot. Ah, who cares about the foot? <laughs> <laughs> My wife took me to the uh, hospital, the emergency room one night. Not too long after I first got here. And I was in bad shape. I couldn't hardly breathe. Time I got up to their desk to tell them my problem, I was down almost on my knees. I can't breathe, you know. They threw me on a cot, you know, a stretcher and hooked up a mask to me and I'd be in both arms and Shooting full of stuff. And I guarded him with my life. So she stayed with me all night. And the next morning, uh, the one doctor, she comes in. She's a surgeon. So she's asking me all kind of questions. And I didn't want to answer none of them. And so I said, well, he was in Vietnam. And she said, what did you do? She said, why? Because he was around Agent Orange. And so she said, what other kind of chemicals you're around? I said, I don't talk to you. She said, what did you do? And my wife said, he worked for the government. And she said, what did you do for the government? I said, I don't want to tell you. But she kept on fighting. Ah, I kill people. And she says, my God, I got Jason Bourne here in the hospital. Please don't retort. Goes way beyond Jason Bourne. <laughs> he brought it up. Yeah. It's, 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 a good, uh, it's, it's a good match, though. And they made six movies, so that's a really good match. So, and goal, shit, Jason Bourne, you guys would be good to go. Can I borrow five bucks? <laughs> I've been left in a couple of countries. My old team is left in a couple of countries. It was, uh, sometimes it kind of ticked me off. But they, like they told me the first day of Langley with the instructors walking back and forth, telling us, he said, you're now living in the real world. You're going to move into a world that is nothing but smoke and mirrors. Everything you see will be an illusion. Believe nothing that you hear and only believe half of what you see. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I agree. And he said, anybody that can't deal with this, the times you'll be wrote off. He said, get up and leave now before we go any further with you. So if you guys got him walked out, I was one of those that stayed. Well, he I just told me, he said, don't believe nothing you hear. <laughs> Why should I believe him? <laughs> and then what made you decide, okay, even with the threats on your life and, and everything else, okay, you're, you're going to continue on uh, with you and your wife uh, to keep continue to push the book, write the book, uh, promote it, everything else, the website, which we'll have in the description, 
jfkjamesfiles.weebly.com, authorhouse.com. You can get the book. Um, when all this starts to come together, how do you guys start to perfect the whole well, first series? Of all, my first book, the one my wife ever writes, primary target is her third book. I asked her to help me finish writing To Kill a Country. And uh, we went from To Kill a Country, went on to Interview with History. Both those books were wrote while I was in prison. I was out when we put this book out. We finished this one. This book here has a lot of questions and answers, Q&As on it. And uh, a lot of questions that people want to ask. And my wife, she sent out a thing, a uh, email to people. If you want to ask a question, feel free to ask. And if you want your name added to the question to get credit for it, we will be more than happy to put your name in the book. And so we had a great many requests. Some of the questions were answered over. But we wanted to give everybody their fair share of what they thought they were getting. And that's what we do. And like on the back of the book, it plainly states here, where I'm standing above Charles Nicoletti's grave, the headstone. And I said that, you know, 100 years from now, Oswald acted alone and there was no conspiracy. That's the way it's going to read in the history books. Now, that's our third book. We put out a second book and a first book was the first book to kill a country. Second book, interview with history. And this is the only one that we put in hardback and soft cover. We got it in soft cover and we got it in hardback. And it's an ebook too. And you can get it as an ebook. People don't want to spend a lot of money. They get it, I think, for five ninety nine. Yeah. And if people get them from our website, they're the signed books that are more expensive because we're signing them, putting pictures with them. Autograph them, and I put my finger, my thumbprint. My right thumbprint is inside the cover right below my signature because I've been booked probably fingerprinted a hundred times by the FBI. <laughs> Nobody can deny my signature with my thumbprint there. And we can get the, the book signed at JFK Murder James Files Webley.com, right? Yeah. JFK Murder James Files I know it's a tongue twister, but I spelled it out here. So I'll make it I'll make it in the description in the video so when people are watching, they can just click. But you gotta give me two or three hints in the book. I read it. I, I read it. But give me give everybody a couple hints. So some cool things that they're gonna find in that book that is really gonna be shocking that we didn't go over today. The people are gonna get in this book that they won't get in any other JFK book besides, you know, the grassy Hole shooter story. Uh, is the CIA debriefing that he did with David Atlee Phillips. I did okay. a debriefing on the gift. It's 63rd and Lawler Street by Midway Airport in Chicago, which is in Cicero, but they call Midway Chicago Airport there. But 63rd and Lawler, which is right off of Cicero Avenue, uh, actually two blocks west of Cicero. Yeah. So, I mean, and I took my wife there, showed her the building and everything. There's a picture of it in the, in the book, too. All the pictures I took and put in here are our pictures because we had to make sure on that, like this cover photo. Everything's ours. That's ours. They wanted to give us a hard time at the publisher yeah. about the book. Oh. You got permission to use these pictures, this and that. Copyright this, copyright. Yeah. YouTube does it. Yeah. How is it a copyright? Yeah, they used to hit me with copyrights. This is my camera. It's me. Me, Tommy. Yeah. How is a copyright of me? So I understand. I, I get it. Because, yeah. Some people are crazy about that kind of stuff. But anyway, there's going to be um, some new information in here. Uh, some of the information that he's uh, revealed in the 
confession of assassin video and then this other one he did too um but they're gonna have all the supporting documents they're gonna have uh, joe west court case they're gonna just have all the supporting documents uh the guy that he had the shootout with his version of the story and then jimmy's version of the story because I'm like why was he in prison for jfk no he wasn't in prison for jfk they they had a contract out on him they were trying to kill him and they weren't very successful but you know when there's a shootout like that the cops aren't going to go to jail you know the guy they were trying to kill goes to jail right. that's why he spent the five years in prison wasn't having anything to do with this so yeah people just kind of get confused i mean it's kind of confusing about prison and sentencing and all this stuff i mean i didn't know about it till i knew him so he was uh anyway. he called up the officer that was shot he took around next to the heart and he wrote the letter himself and put it on the internet entered next to his heart and next to his red foot on wow. he called him up asked him about it she said jimmy and i are writing a book she said i've got his version of what happened I would like to get your version. So they talked a little bit, and then she told him, she said, Jimmy said you had a contract on him. He just laughed. He never said yes or no. And so about two sentences later, he tells her, I'm, I'm upset with the government. She says, why? He said, they never told me who I was up against. Hamlet <laughs> so said, you didn't know that he was a work for the CIA. He was a special, special forces, wow. an airborne ranger. Uh, he was a hitman for the outfit. He said, I had no idea. He said, had I known, I would have never missed Lee. Yeah, they wouldn't have tried that. And, I, and, and uh, both of you, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Files, said, uh, some of the I'll pictures. I'm sorry, Mr. Files, what did you say? I said, I sent I, David after tag a message to the friend of his when I got out. No hurt feelings. I said, I just, just tell him, I said, I think he's a lousy shot. He couldn't do his job. <laughs> and so we were having breakfast there about a year and a half later. This place in Antioch called Grant, Granish, right on the lake there. And the waitress coming, she said, so-and-so told me to call him. If you come in, would you let him, can he come and talk to you? And I said, yes. Yeah. So she called him up. We waited. He come in. He says, Johnny, shake my hand. And he said, do you remember the message you gave me to give Dr. Tag? I said, yeah. He said, I gave it to him. I said, what did he say? He said, he agreed with you. He was a lousy shot. <laughs> but, but you know how cool that is, though? That's so cool that you guys can have a conversation. You know, things happen. To me, that's just so nice to see that bad things happen, but you can get over it. You know, I, I just think, to, to me, that's that's very beautiful to me when I see all this craziness. He always says, um, some people forgive, but the FBI never forgives. Yeah. All the stuff that he did in his past, they will never forgive it. If they can tie him to any of that, they want to shine their little badge up. Oh, of course. I, I busted James Wilds for this. Zachariah Shulman was the FBI agent that busted me for hijacking tractors and trailers from all over the country. And everybody else was investigating me. They never bothered to tell Jack where I lived. I mean, Zach, not Jack, but Zach. So anyway, they're buying the loads of stolen meat from me, tractors and trailers loaded with the swinging meat and stuff, box meat, everything. They're actually parking it at the National Guard right in front of my house. Now, I live at the house here, and directly across the street, a straight shot, is the driveway into the National Guard. And they're parking the trucks with the side and down high by the fence. Fucking nuts. Next, <laughs> I couldn't believe when I found out we was parking the bridge in front of your house. <laughs> Out of mind. <laughs> so give a. Uh, yeah. 
from that house. This podcast is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Go to www.expressvpn.com, use code MSCS, and get 20% off your order. VPN is a power tool for your devices that enhances the internet. With it, you can do three really cool things. One, watch movies and TV from any of your devices fast and securely. Two, you can use parts of the internet that are blocked in certain countries. Three, you can keep your internet traffic private even when you're on an unsecured public network. That's www.expressvpn.com. Use the code MSCS at checkout and get 20% off your order. In the National Guard, tell them what happened. Well, sometimes I would get a phone call and uh, I would be told ETA three minutes. Go back. So I would jump up, run in the bedroom, grab my go bag with all my toiletries and stuff in it, and head for the door and be running across the street. The helicopter be sitting down there. And I would run over, jump on the helicopter, and take off. So after Pamela got over here, this was many years ago, we went to this, we was looking all over for a good can- cannolis. And I forgot all about the bakery that used to be my house where I used to buy the cannolis. And so we're driving down shooting this. Oh my God, I said, here, we get good cannolis here. They got the best around. And she goes, why are you just not telling me? I said, didn't even think about it. So we stopped when they got some cannolis. I talked to the old guy there that's still there. And he's got to be in his 80s, probably. And uh, he told me, I remember you. He said, you're the one they used to pick up in the helicopter. Oh, my God. He was still there? He was still there? He was still there after all this time? I left my house in Broadview, Illinois. I lived at 2924 South Ninth Avenue, Broadview, Illinois. When they picked me up this one afternoon, they flew me over to uh, the sack base. In uh, Nebraska, there took a jet straight down to South America. 36 hours from the time I left my house, I had my primary target in the crosshairs. Well, uh, you can't beat that. I did not. Oh, and tell them who you checked in with every day. David Alley Phillips. No matter where I was at, I would make call this one number and they would pitch me through to Phillips. I'd tell them where I was and they would tell me, relax, things are okay. But he wanted to know where I was. Every day, so if he needed me, I could be on the plane within the hour and headed to my next destination. Wow. 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 That's sniper. Wow. wow. I mean, what do you say to that? Wow. Wow. And uh, t- tell us more about the book. Well, what, what else can we find in there? Uh, well, um, I know there's some really good pictures. You got some really good pictures. Big uh, section on questions that are commonly asked. Okay, what happened to the gun? If you really did it, how come you're still alive? All these kind of things, you know? Like, it's not from a lack of them trying to kill like me. I've explained to her. They've been trying. I can spot a crow coming down the street. The one I can't spot is the nut shot. It's going to walk up, pull a gun, and shoot right like that. Right. And I have no guess. But I can anybody that walks, I can tell if it's a military walk. Law enforcement walk the way they walk. If they don't turn their heads, they move their eyes. And uh, I guess about the pro every time. <clears throat> Mr. Files, you're gonna you're gonna think I'm you're gonna think I'm absolutely crazy, but I'm gonna ask you this question. It's a totally uh, off the wall question, so you're gonna think I'm nuts. Did you see that Idaho case thing with the with the four girls that got killed, and they don't know who did yeah. it still? What do you think happened there? 
I think that somebody from town there got those girls, and I think somebody's trying to cover for someone. Does the dad look funny to you by body language? Oh, yeah. That's what I, I, I just see a lot of weird body language and I, and Mr. Files, I never see him look directly like they like, never like this. It's always here, here. And at first, maybe I thought, you know, daughter died. Maybe he's on drugs, whatever it may be, but never. I mean, he's here, he's there, he's, he's all over the place. And I just wanted to get your opinion on that. Well, I think it's a politician there in the small town, Moscow, Nebraska. I believe that the Idaho, yeah, uh, Idaho. I believe that the kid was involved some way and they're trying to cover up for the father and save this kid. I mean, this is somebody that was well known with that house. Might have been a drug supplier. Who the heck knows? But had to be, right? How could you go in and stab four people and two other people there? How could you do that? Like, you would have to be you. Do you remember the spec case? Part. Do you remember that, Scott? Kill all the nurses in Chicago. No. Uh, he killed a bunch of nurses. I forget how many killed, but it probably doesn't kill. But uh, it was all in the house, hiding under the bed and everything else. I believe he had a partner. And when they executed Richard Speck, I believe that. Uh, oh, yeah, Richard Speck. I remember that. Yeah, and I remember that. Yeah, because no way one guy could do that, right? Pardon me? No way one guy could do that, right? No, no way. I know what you're talking about now. When you said Richard Speck, you remember that? Yeah. I was a Richard Speck state goal. Oh, wow. Wow. So I knew who carried the film out when he showed the pile of cocaine on the table. And he said, boy, if the people on that much fun I was having here, they'd throw me out. <laughs> well, he was there. He there after. But, uh, I know the party that carried the film out. When they shot the film out. Him and his uh, lover, uh, Honey Bear. What about Marilyn Monroe? Where, where where does she fall into place in all this this whole thing? Do you have that in the book? Wouldn't have John F. Kennedy's baby. She wanted John F. Kennedy to leave uh, Jackie. She wanted to be the first lady at the White House. And she wanted the baby born in the White House. There. Now, did they whack her with the, or did she just actually overdose? Or should we read? Or should we get the book to find out the truth? Psychic made this picture, and I showed it to Jim. Oh wow! And I go, "Who does that look like?" And he goes, "That's Chuck." Oh wow! And I go, "Who does this one look like?" He goes, "Oh, that's Leo." They were the ones that went and did her. I did go out there for that one. I was a. Uh, I drove them to the Milwaukee Airport, what is now known as the Chicago Executive Airport. And so, man, I drove by. Uh, Mandela, I believe it is. So as of now, the the official cause of death is what? Overdose, drug overdose is what they say. It's changed yeah. three times. So they they're saying it's a drug overdose, right? But really, they drugged her and got her out of the way. You got a barbiturate enema. Barbiturate? Oh, up the ass. Oh, okay. Well, that that would end you. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry what? to say. I mean, she didn't take the pills and kill herself, and there's a whole bunch of... Bobby Kennedy let those guys in, <laughs> into her house. Okay? Yeah. Bobby wow. Kennedy. And the guy that I... We're having... We were writing a book about him, having to go back through the book to change the name, because the front cover, there's some names that have been changed to protect the innocent. Yeah. The one guy that was the electronics expert, I just recently found out he's still alive. 
So I cannot yeah. send him to jail on a house, but there's no uh, statute of limitations on it. You got to write him a letter and tell him to die. <laughs> tell him to go on vacation. Yeah. So send send him to Guam in a nice country with a nice uh, uh, house, so you can you can write about all of it, right? I'm just kidding around. Are you guys gonna make that into an audio book? You got to get that into an audio book. You got to get. I want him to do this as an audio book. Oh, all his story in his voice. It would kill. It would it would kill. You got to do it in an audio book. Has to be you, Mister Files. Has to be you. I know. Can't just be a guy like you. I mean, no. you, you trim the coverage in the other books. Now, I I I don't I wasn't in the military, jumping out of helicopters. I need some bigger Kahuna's for that. Yeah, that's our first book. That's our second book. This is our third book. And can we get all three of these on the website? Um, no, you can't get this book anymore. There's a long story about this thing. You don't. You can write a book about that book. You can. He said you can write a book about that book. That must have been a whole, that must have been a nice headache. They tried to portray me as a nut job like me, Harvey Oswald, and I wouldn't go for it. Well, I've been talking to you for an hour and a half, and I'll tell you what, you're sharper than a lot of 50-year-old men and 45-year-old men that I sat across from. I'll tell you that right now. Well, I'm going to be 81 years old in January the 24th. I'll be 81. You mean, you mean 51? 81. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so we're gonna get this in an audio book, right, Mister Files? Right. I hope so. Pamela Ray, gotta get him to do it. Ebook, 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 and then gotta come back audio on. Book. It's audio book, audio book, audio book. You get it on Amazon, you get it on the Apple, and then you guys come on. Boom, we shoot it out. Gotta do it, Mister Files. There's so many younger people, God bless them, they don't read. They want to hear the audio book yeah. or see a video. They don't want to just sit and read a book. I, I was I was raised I, I personally was raised very old school Italian. So, you know, I always like to wake up with coffee and go to the bathroom with a paper newspaper. I like a paper newspaper, yeah. you know, but if you weren't raised old school in this generation, you know, they want just put headphones in and hear it or, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah. Yeah. Got to get that audio book. Well, I don't want to hold you guys up too much. Uh, you know, I please come back again. And uh, I'd love to ask you some more questions. Sorry about this internet issues. Uh, but, uh, please promote everything you guys got so everybody can uh, get it and we'll have everything in the description. So, uh, Mr. And Mrs. Files, please promote anything you want. The story's been out there for quite some time, and the government has tried to discredit me, but they couldn't do it. My story's never changed over the last 30 years, and uh, they've had all different kind of people, and uh, I won't call his name, but he was operating for the uh, CIA, and they asked him to go check, and he come to saw me, and he says, could you tell me something that happened that nobody knows about? And I said, well, the assassination on Sheridan Circle, a.k.a. Embassy Row. He said, well, everybody knows about that. It's in the newspaper. He said, yes. I said, then we had the bombing at the Cuban airline, October, uh, I think it was October 12th. He says, uh, yeah, he said, everybody knows about that. I said, yes, but what nobody knows is all explosives has a batch number. Both bombs for Embassy Circle and the Cuban airliner was made from the same batch of explosives. 
said, now you go to the archive, you go to Langley and you check. And so when he went and checked, the people asked him, uh, what'd you find out? Is you go tell Files he's a walking dead man. He just ain't been covered up yet. <laughs> <laughs> Sir Files, what do you think about what UFOs? What's up? What, what's going on with all this UFO stuff? I don't get into UFOs. You just keep keep away. Ah, yeah, yep. Just let that run from that one for right now, right? Otherwise, we're all yeah. going to be in the loony bin. I'll be headed there I'll with you pretty one soon. Thing about UFOs, they are for real. Yeah. Thank you. But I'm not talking about UFOs. Don't worry. I, I can do that. I, I try. I, I wouldn't even tell her about you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm into it. I'm into I it. I don't tell him about the hollow earth either. Oh, I know about I the hollow earth. I know about that one into the ocean and over. Mrs. Files, I know about the hollow earth. Hierarchy. Hey. No. Secrets. <laughs> hollow uh, earth. Them. Ooh. We, we when you guys Eisenhower can talk about Treaty. that. Eisenhower Treaty with the 80s. Well, I got to tell you, most of my secrets are going to go to my grave. As they should. As they should. He's going to write a couple of bestsellers after I'm dead. That way I can't be put in jail. And she makes the money. That's a, that's, that's a real man. Talk about making money. It reminds me of the joke about the woman and her husband. Her <laughs> husband said, when he dies... He wants to be buried with all of his money. So she told him, okay. So they're at the funeral, and her girlfriend says, did you really put the money in the coffin with him? She said, yes, I did. She said, why would you do that? She said, well, I think you signed that check, cash it. He can spend it. Meanwhile, over here, paying alimony. <laughs> no. But uh, thank you guys so much. You guys, it's so nice to see a, a couple of such. And uh, I'll push this all I can for you guys. And uh, when I mix the video, if you guys want it, I can send it to you so you guys have it too. It's ours. It's not just mine. And uh, let's get this out here. You guys are really, really genuine, nice people. And, and thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you got one problem. Most people, they find out nobody here knows who I am. They just told me it's Jim the Handyman. Where we're living at now. We let nobody know. I don't talk to anybody. And uh, he's just trying to keep a low key. I want a low profile. Yeah. yeah. People, when they read about my background, they, they get nervous. Meltdown. She called in over 300 houses she tried to rent. And she finally asked me, she said, Is that my husband's background? And they said, Yes, it is. Yeah. So we get this place, it's all on her name. Yeah, you know, I, I ate that. I got myself, I got in trouble when I was younger. And to this day, I, I can't even get into a gated community. Something that happened 20, 19 years ago is still with me. I can't live in a gated community. No matter how much money I have or don't have, I can't live in a gated community. Wow. How long ago mine started? It was over 60 years ago. Yeah. I just did But the one before that, Operation Group 40. Bay of Pigs, Operation Mobile White Star. Oh, yeah, White Star. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. That was White Star in Vietnam. Uh, real quick, Mr. Files, tell me one story about uh, White Star. Or what, what was it called? Winter Star, right? Mobile White Star. White Star, yeah. Tell me one good story about that. My theater of operation was the Plane to Jars. We call it the Jar of Planes, make it easy. But the correct name is Plane to Jars. And that was these big jars they had in there with these lenses. It took like four men to move the lid off to put the grain inside. Well, when the B-52s come overhead, 
they wiped out most of the charters. There's only a few of them left. But uh, I appreciate Mobile West Service where I made my mark. And uh, Bansdale wanted me. And 1962, I was sent to. Uh, Yeah, Lansdowne. He's the one that got me uh, at the Scotland Air Force Base. Scotland Air Force Base. But he didn't get you out of Laos. No. I was already out of Laos, but I say I made my mark and my name in Laos. And uh, anyway, I went there and so I'm sitting down reading the manual on the floor. My leg breaks out front. Some guy kicks the bottom of my foot. I looked up. I'm going to get up and hear this guy new asshole. He looked at me and I looked at him and see all the salad on his blouse. Oh, I better calm down a minute. So he said, I hear you're a cowboy. And I said, you might say that. But back in those days, operatives for the agency were known as cowboys. That basically is the way we dressed, I guess. You know, jeans and cowboy boots and stuff and everything. He said, come on, you're mine for the next couple of days. They took me into the Air Force Base Recreation uh, to get me a recreation, uh, Air Force uniform. So I went and got the Air Force uniform. He got on with the plane. He looked at me and said, you can't fly, can't you? I told him, I said, now's the hell of a time to ask me that. <laughs> but that's why Lansdale wanted me to start a shooter in the class. And I thought the world was Lansdale. Wow. He was a crew maker. was the one. He wired the, he put the mines in the uh, Guatemala Harbor in 1954. Shit. He overthrew the government the Philippines. Oh, he yeah. did a tremendous amount of work. Yeah, I remember the Philippines. You have a buddy out there. Wow. Wow. All right, guys. Well, Mr. Files, get get to work on that audio book. Okay. Do my best. You guys, and, you two uh, are a beautiful couple. Oh, absolutely. I hope to have you guys again on. And you guys are a beautiful couple. You have a great, great holiday. Great holiday. You guys make sure you have a great holiday. You, you and your family and all your workers there at the studio. Wish you all a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thank, you very, Christmas. thank you very much, sir and ma'am. And I just have my uh, little girl. She's two and a half now. First kid. She's two and a half and she's already got my wallet. Might as well just give it to her now. <laughs> I'm done for. <laughs> One more comment before I go. I used to have long hair when I was in prison. When I got out last year on my birthday, on my 80th birthday, I shaved my head, took all the hair off. So you really have a full head of hair right now if you wanted to. Oh, yeah. What's the trick to I that? What's the trick to that? You can make a billion dollars right now if you got a trick for that one. You can make a billion if you got the answer to that question. How? <laughs> we were in Dallas getting some uh, photos and making some film footage for the documentary. And somebody walked up and asked him, aren't you James Files? And I said, oh, I get that lot. I guess he looks a lot like me. <laughs> oh, shut up and tell him who you are. But I told the guy, he was really, he was really amazed. Aren't they such a cute couple? You guys are a cute couple. I'll tell you what. You guys are a cute couple. You guys are going to keep each other alive. You are. I hope so. You will. You keep it up. You you guys I'm keep smiling. You keep smiling. Thank you guys so much. And I hope to have you back again with no internet problems. On my end, not you. Pleasure talking with you. We enjoyed it. Oh, it was fun. Mr. Files. God bless you, American people, and God bless this country. Mr. Files, who's going to win the Super Bowl? No, no, don't watch football. All right. I, I, football I, I, he's NASCAR. When they NASCAR. The game, I said, that's it. 
Americans, but they don't respect our flag. I don't respect them or their game. Yeah, I agree with that one. I agree with that. I can't. I agree with that. I just we we always do. We always do a bet. I, I agree with country. that. I fled for this country and I killed for this country. How much bullshit is it that they changed the names of the how much bullshit is it that they changed the Redskins to the Browns? How bad is that? Hey, the Indians like that. You know that. They like that. That's wrong. That's bullshit. No, the Indians never complained about that. That that gave them pride. Yeah, we, we could have a whole interview on that one. All right. Thank you, guys. It was beautiful, and uh, I'll definitely push that book. God bless. Thank you. Have a great night. Good night. Thank you. Good night.